long COVID, oh sorry, just very quickly on long COVID, is the government considering any support for people who um, have long COVID and can no longer work full time? Um, we obviously keep all of that under review. Um, there is some support available already, um, but you know the evidence there is still emerging. But look, we, we keep that under under constant review. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on the detail, unlike most countries around the world, New Zealand is still pretty close to its COVID peak. But cases are declining regardless, and this has understandably led some to conclude the worst is probably behind us. Well, it's time to roll out the welcome mat to tourists, according to our latest One News Kantar public poll. But COVID isn't a flash-in-the-pan sort of thing. There can be long-term health consequences to deal with, some of which our best medical minds are still trying to get their heads around. We're starting to learn more about the impact that so-called long COVID is having on patients. So today on the podcast, long COVID and work. How is this still mysterious illness diagnosed and treated? How does it affect people's ability to work? What are your options if long COVID means you have to take extended leave or even quit your job altogether? And does this example make the case for a new, mooted, ACC-like government insurance scheme? Paula Lorgali is a health economist from New Zealand who's been living and working largely in the United Kingdom for the past couple of decades. I feel like maybe we should establish a starting point here. I propose this. Long COVID is a thing. It is and it will continue to prevent some people from working for short and long periods of time, uh, sometimes permanently. But because of the nature of long COVID, that is going to lead to some issues in the short term. Is that a fair enough base to sort of take off from, do you think? Yeah, and and also um, not just an inability to work, but also fluctuations in your ability to work as well. So you might not be able to work a whole day, you might be able to work a half a day. Um, but of course, some jobs are not, you can't do in half a day. You may be off all the time, or you may actually want to just be off some of the time. But in fact, the flexibility of your job may mean that you can't do that. You've identified the, uh, you know, maybe one of the biggest issues that we're going to talk about, long COVID itself. What point are we at with long COVID? Is this like an official illness? Is it a collection of symptoms? Can it be diagnosed? What's the what's the deal here? Yeah, and so I'm not a clinician. Sure. So I'm coming at this from kind of a, a, my knowledge from listening uh, intently to clinicians and intently to patients. We engage quite actively with patients. So you have to have symptoms that still symptoms 12 weeks after you've had your COVID infection. So in a sense, you could have your COVID infection and then you've still got to battle through the symptoms for 12 weeks before you even, you know, could chance a diagnosis then of long COVID. And then there's a process to go through to, um, to, to uh, you know, what what is long COVID and there's a whole range of kind of diagnostics that you can go through and particularly it's things like, you know, do you still have fatigue? Have you lost your sense of smell? What's your concentration like? There'll be other people that will have like heart palpitations. Um, so there's a whole range of kind of lists. Some who are so bad, they, they're, you know, immobile. And then you get your kind of uh, diagnosis. The other thing there is, so you've had COVID and you would have isolated, you would have been feeling unwell and then you've got to actually stay feeling unwell for 12 weeks before you can even get a chance of then getting a diagnosis of 
what we expect will be considered a chronic condition going forward. At the moment, the information about long COVID on the Ministry of Health's website is understandably a bit vague. Most people with COVID recover completely and return to normal health. It normally lasts between two and six weeks, and most people are fully recovered within 12 weeks. However, sometimes symptoms of COVID will persist after 12 weeks. Sometimes people will develop new symptoms. And in a roundabout way, this is what we mean by the term long COVID. Symptoms and signs that continue and develop after you would expect to have recovered. The most common include fatigue, shortness of breath and cognitive dysfunction, as well as chest tightness, cough, breathlessness and so on. But you've probably cottoned on that few of these symptoms are unique to COVID. And importantly, there's no test that's going to tell you definitively whether or not you've got long COVID. One key thing I forgot to say at the start is you need a um, diagnosis of COVID. Uh So um, obviously at the start of the pandemic, uh, we weren't even testing for COVID. There are some people who have got long COVID who have never had a positive COVID test. Huh. Um, but we assume that they were hospitalised with those symptoms, so we assume they've got COVID. Now in the UK, we've probably got people who have got COVID but may not even be testing because you don't need to test anymore. You don't even need to stay home, right? Mm. We're living with COVID. And so there could be a question subsequently, depending on what happens in New Zealand, as to the availability of tests, the recording of tests. And so it kind of will be interesting to know if there's the the symptoms, these long-lasting symptoms, if they actually need this confirmed diagnosis of COVID in the first place. Well, yeah, because that that would seem a crucial part of the step. If we're accepting, and it seems as though we are, you know, that long COVID is most certainly a, a thing and is a chronic illness, then that initial COVID diagnosis would seem crucial if there are to be entitlements and or benefits attached to a long COVID diagnosis? Exactly. So we actually just had this conversation at the university. You know, students were asking for, you know, the suggestion of whether a student should be asking for extensions. The lecturer said, well, they clearly got COVID because I've spoke to them, but they don't have had, they haven't had a COVID test. They've mm-hmm. got COVID in their household, but they've not bothered to get a COVID test. And I said, they need to go and get a COVID test because A, we get to sequence it, particularly if you can get a PCR, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, amazing information we kind of need to keep understanding the disease but also if they end up getting long COVID and so say next semester they're in my class and they say you know I'm not feeling very well I've got you know we couldn't say they had long COVID because we might not have had their positive COVID test from the first semester Mm. so you know I think there is a key there if it's going to be required a positive COVID test we, we will need, otherwise we're going to just going to have to go on a diagnosis of long COVID without having confirmation of COVID, which is kind of what we're doing now, but that's for the start of the pandemic. I don't know what we're going to do now that we're at the, we're not at the end of the pandemic, but yeah. we're at a space where we're not testing as regularly. Exactly. And it, it strikes me that that is, um, you quite rightly say there are a lot of shoulds there. You know, people should be testing and they should be recording their tests and things like that. But um, that doesn't mean people will do those things. <laughs> No. Gee, you can see how this gets really complicated really, really quickly from an economist's point of view, I suppose. Yeah, and, and, and particularly because, you know, even if we worked out how much it costs to treat it, 
how much it costs the economy, you know, and lost productivity. What Treasury will want before they, you know, go down the route of providing any kind of services and and, um, and, and perhaps the Ministry of Health having a business case is just what numbers. And so New Zealand is in the, has the benefit of very high vaccination rates. And we know that it looks like long COVID is less severe with those who are vaccinated or less likely, should I say, with those who are vaccinated. Omicron still gives you long COVID, but they're unsure if it's as severe or not. Mm-hmm. But because New Zealand's environment is very different from the UK, the numbers that are coming out of the UK don't naturally apply to New Zealand. So mm-hmm. I think there is something to say about still having those test numbers. You spoke to my colleague, Jean Bell, for a piece about uh, employers and, and long COVID. And uh, you mentioned that it would, uh, I'll quote you here, actually, long COVID, Gene writes, presents a raft of unknowns because each person shows different symptoms and it's not clear how to treat this. And then you say it's going to be different than if the pandemic had, say, caused a form of heart disease that we could treat with some medication. I wonder whether you can just go and explain what what are the things particular to long COVID that make this an especially slippery or you know irksome uh, illness to deal with, particularly with regard to work? I think if you think about the just the fact that, I mean, it's probably not true that no two long COVID patients will present alike. They, they will because there's so many of them. But because it does manifest so differently in different individuals, I guess the way that you would manage it is going to be different. It's going to be very much an individualised, you know, almost a personalised approach to managing long COVID. Uh, and... And it may depend, and therefore, and then within that personalised approach, it is what the person does Mm. as well. So, you know, maybe that John, who works on the shop floor, has long COVID, but his long COVID is different from Sally, you know, who works in the administrative office. Mm. Um, And so there'll be, uh, and and they might present in different ways. You know, one might have concentration problems, one might have fatigue problems, one might, might have mobility problems. And how you manage them can't be the same. Another unknown, there are a lot here, is the percentage of people who get COVID who then go on to develop long COVID. International data varies wildly. A systematic review of studies published in October last year suggested as many as 50% of patients experienced ongoing health issues six months after recovery. Another study from early 2021 found nearly a third of patients still had persistent symptoms after nine months. Of course, New Zealand's relatively late peak and high vaccination rates mean we have less unique data than other countries and may also be in a better position to combat it. But it's inevitable more people will get long COVID, and some of those people will have to take time off work. Some may have to leave their jobs. So what happens to them? Lots of people I've spoken to in passing assume they'd be covered by ACC. I put that question to Stuff Business Editor Susan Edmonds. If people develop a chronic sickness, what are they entitled to when it comes to ACC? Well, very broadly, nothing. If you're sick, you generally don't qualify for ACC. ACC is mostly there for accidents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite a big misconception that people do think if they're off work sick that they'd get ACC, but they generally will not. Mm, Okay. So ACC and long COVID really are sort of parallel lines that don't 
really meet? Is that kind of the situation? Like, I guess the question there is, you know, like whether we know yet whether people who suffer from long COVID will qualify for ACC. And I guess in most situations, mm. the answer is no. Yeah, I would expect that they wouldn't. I've heard some argument that people might say that they contracted COVID at work and they might try to battle that way. But I just, I don't think that I can imagine a situation where ACC would cover you being off work for long COVID. I think this is actually a wider issue in general. I mean, the insurance sector always says people don't understand that if they're off work sick that they are kind of on their own because you don't even qualify for the sickness benefit if you have a partner with a job. So a lot of people are really exposed in that way. If they had, you know, cancer, that meant they couldn't work. Mm. They would be really struggling too, probably, in many cases. If one does contract long COVID and you cannot work for an extended period of time, looking at it at this stage, at this point in time, what what are the options available for people in that position by by your reckoning? At the moment, it seems to me that the best option is to have um, private income protection insurance or one of those rent and mortgage type covers. Yeah. Because as far as I know, none of those have an exemption for um, COVID-related stuff at the moment. I haven't seen any. So if you took that out in the past before you had long COVID, you could then claim for being off work and that would pay you for however long you've agreed in your policy. That might be like two years or until retirement. So that would be a good option. The problem, the only problem I can see with that is that some of them do have a mental health exception. So if you were sick with long COVID but were mostly off work because of the mental health implications, then that could could catch you out. But I do think that that private income protection insurance is probably the only, only way at this stage. If the government rolls out its scheme, that could help. But that's still in the consultation phases. Remind us of what is being proposed here and how it might work. What they're proposing is kind of like an ACC for being off work for other reasons. Because if you lose your job because you're made redundant or you can't work because you're unwell, then the proposal is that you'll get six months paid at 80% of your income up to a, a limit and one month paid by your employer. So at the moment, that's a total of seven months mm. before you need to worry which is pretty decent, and that's funded by a levy on your pay. But I wonder, often with these products, you can't claim for something that's pre-existing. So if you were already off work with long COVID, you might be out of luck. But that's just my guess, because like income insurance, you can't take out after you've already got money. Gee, far out. Okay, so this is... um... This is a pretty big deal, it's, it seems. So if you didn't have income protection insurance, then the only thing that would be available to you would be to go on the, the sickness benefit? Yeah, but if your partner works, then you won't qualify. But presumably, if you're a two-income family and then you lost one of your incomes, you might qualify for some other support. If you had kids, you might get more working for families, maybe, that sort of thing. But it would depend on your individual circumstances. Do we have any indication at all at this stage as to how the government might manage uh, the complications of, of long COVID on, on employment, or has it been sort of radio silence in that area? I haven't heard anything from the government yet as far as I know. I've heard lots of um, employment advocate type people saying it's something we need to be aware of, but so far, touch wood, it doesn't seem to be something that employers are dealing with in large numbers. I think I'm right in saying that one of the most crucial preventative measures to stop yourself getting long COVID if you have COVID is to rest. Are you feeling fatigued? Like this dog tired feeling that you just can't get off the sofa. If you're feeling like that, you need to listen to your body. Procare GP Jodie O'Sullivan reckons around half of her patients have had Omicron and many are suffering four to six weeks on because they've tried to work through it. Because we've been told it's not the nasty one, we've underestimated 
what it can actually do to you. Also, of course, the best way to avoid getting long COVID in the first place is to not get COVID. But many employers will want their staff to come back to work as soon as possible. It is indeed conceivable that, that some might exert some pressure to make that happen, which really, it seems, throws the employer's duty of care into the spotlight here. Yeah, I would agree. I think employers need to be really careful that they're not pushing people beyond what they are comfortable with doing. I guess it's also worth noting that every employee has that ability to ask for a flexible working arrangement. So if they are struggling coming out of COVID, they can ask to go part-time or you know, cut down their days for a certain period of time or something like that, if that helps. When it comes to people in the UK who have unfortunately lost their jobs um, or who can't work as, as a consequence of long COVID, what welfare-wise are the options for, for people in that in that position? And uh, I don't know how familiar you are with New Zealand's welfare state, but how might that translate across here, do you think? So I think the options are um, an unemployment benefit or something called PIPs, which unfortunately I forget what PIP stands for, but it's um, replacing a, a disability living allowance. Mm. It's quite controversial. Um, you have to be assessed um, and you may not get it. Um, and, and I guess it's probably the similar way. You've got to actually show that you're kind of sick to get a sickness benefit. Mm. Um, I guess in the New Zealand situation, it is an unemployment benefit or if you can uh, prove, you know, with sickness notes, um, then you can go on a sickness benefit. Obviously, these are benefits, you know, of not of high value um, if you happen to be in a, in a um, high-paying a job. So that's quite a significant reduction. Your, I guess you might, you know, at the extreme, you might be able to draw, if you're in high income, you might be able to draw on some sort of life assurance policy mm. You know, um, if you can no longer work and you've got life assurance, not you know where it pays out on on um, some sort of like chronic cover. Mm. But aside from that, unless you're going down your unemployment yeah. insurance yeah. Yeah. Um, route, that may help. But I'm I'm pretty sure that the government isn't thinking of bringing that in for it to be almost drawn on immediately, either. And I guess it's it's part of like how do you plan for a pandemic? And the questions of do you do health reforms just as we're trying to get out of a pandemic? Lots of these things are already in motion before we had a pandemic. So it's just about is it the right time or not? There will be people who will look at this whole situation and say, they'll say, I told you, I told you. What we need is a universal basic income or, or some mm. form, as we've talked about, of compulsory income protection insurance funded from a levy, which, which, as we've talked about, is an idea that New Zealand's government wants to introduce and is, is consulting on. Do you think that that calls for some sort of universal baseline income or, or safety net will be strengthened by this experience? Yeah, I think, I think there's a call for universal basic income, irrespective of whether there's a pandemic or not. And yes, it might be that middle class middle-income people need to draw on it. But, you know, I guess for equity and addressing inequalities in New Zealand, they're probably unlikely to be the ones that, you know, outside of a pandemic and the chronic condition that this pandemic causes will draw on it. Um, so it would be, you know, it's a it's addressing the inequalities, the broader inequalities that existed in New Zealand for years mm. and will, and will persist, persist beyond this pandemic. 
and probably have been exacerbated by the pandemic as well. Just finally on this, Paula, you are coming back to New Zealand pretty soon. And let's say that at the airport, when you arrive back, presuming that you're fresh, uh, you are whisked into a room with the Minister of Health. And they say, from your experience in the United Kingdom, give us some advice. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with the complications of of long COVID? What advice do you sort of have for us at this point? Right. So benefit of New Zealand's a small country. It's bigger than it was when I left, but it's still a small country. Mm. Everybody that's had a diagnosis of COVID, I say you need to get their GP um, to um, have contact with them, understand if they've got continuing symptoms. Um, If they say they have, bring them in, do an assessment. And then one thing I'm big on is like kind of a patient registry. So we need to understand who these patients are, record some information on them. We can get that sort of information on their clinical status. They can say, you know, what their quality of life is and you get some idea of that. And then we should at that point know a little bit more about kind of what works. We kind of know what works in some situations. But I think it's going to be really important that we know who these patients are and we don't just wait for them to present. We know that we know what the precursor was um, for having long COVID. It's having COVID. Um, and I don't think there's going to be any harm in going out and searching for them and making sure that we go in and help you know, address their, their health needs now. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what I would say. And, and, you know, and I think New Zealand can do that. I mean, New Zealand's been pro, so proactive and so different from so many other countries in this space. Um, why can't it kind of do that? And then you have individuals who aren't just presenting, you know, who wouldn't, who wouldn't just be presenting. So you can, you'll get the whole range of kind of symptoms and their levels of severity. And, you know, and, and we can start doing some trials. We can start doing um, some care. Yes, it'll cost some money, but either we spend some money now on treating them or we wait uh, until they're unproductive members of, of society and we end up spending money on uh, benefits for them um, while, you know, they wait and, 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 you know, get worse. So we don't know, actually. There's some suggestion that, you know, some long COVID patients get worse rather than better over time. Mm. Um, so I think it's about being kind of proactive in that space. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poak and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Paula Lorgali and Susan Edmonds. Matewa. <laughs>